Hello, world singers. My name is Tyler. And my name is Brooke. And this is Cosmere Conversations. Welcome back. I know what you're thinking. Episodes in back-to-back weeks? I know. What so is soon. this? <laughs> this is coronavirus. This is actually just a perfect mashup of when we were finishing the Elantris book as part of our reread series and when we wanted to do that uh, fan episode, which was so great. Got a lot of good responses on the Facebook and we'll continue to do those you know, here and there sporadically and maybe a little less sporadically if coronavirus continues. Yeah, I think if we uh, if we continue in the same vein as we have these last couple of weeks, we might try to do another episode before our Warbreaker yeah, reread podcast. Intersperse things. Yeah, yeah. We got some great listener feedback and responses as you said from the last episode so i would love to give those a shout out and other than that i would love to hear from fans what kind of intermediate episodes they're interested in hearing if they just want to do another fan theory fan question uh episode or if we want to do another word of brandon episode or if you have another idea completely hit us up let us know we make in pods so amid all of our pod production, we also have been doing some reading and finished another book in the series. We, remember, are not going in publication order, but are just going in our order. Uh, kind of a concept of what's going to make for the best conclusion to our reread, where we just stack up Stormlight Archive 1, 2, 3, and then the fourth one comes out. And we're also kind of, I like our introduction, or I like our reread as also like an introduction for new readers. You know, Mistborn yeah. is a great starting point. Um, and then I think going back to Elantris and Warbreaker is going to really help then give color and understanding to the Stormlight books, uh, which are obviously the main thrust. But before Stormlight, Let's go all the way back, more than a decade now. We are going far, far back to 2008 and 2009, the early days of the Cosmere and Brandon's first ever Cosmere book. That was published. Yes, he did have a couple, I think three things that he had uh, floated and finished, and then they got kind of uh, cannibalized and became other stories or were like his original master's thesis, just shelved for far, far later. Uh, but Elantris, his first published work, I think that we have, I have previously said on the pod that it's not my favorite either to reread or to like suggest to new readers. Uh, and we'll kind of talk about some of those concerns. But overall, I have to say that Elantris is a fascinating book not necessarily the best complete story but it's a good book i think yeah i think that there are some pretty obvious 
tells that this is an early book of Brandon's just in terms of like writing and style and things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, However, I have not read Elantris for many years at this point. Maybe not since like the first time I read it. And so all I have heard for the last many years has been you talking about how much you don't like it. (laughs) Yeah. I'm not going to be ashamed of this. (laughs) So I will say that I was actually pleasantly surprised. So if you, listener, are sitting at home listening to Tyler talk about how much he doesn't like Eliantris, know that you'll be pleasantly surprised. I think that's a good lesson for everyone to learn is that if people are trash talking either you or a topic or a subject or a book uh, in real life, probably their trash talk is overblown. <laughs> and But you might be discouraging people. Oh, that's true. However, you know, I can't care about everything. Uh, <laughs> i got a lot to worry about. So he, I want to at least pay respects to my past self. I don't think I'm entirely wrong. You're not entirely wrong. There are some qualms. Yeah. However, it is certainly not as bad, I felt, as I was afraid it was going to be. I think it is a good book. And I think that there's a lot of really interesting things to pull out in terms of philosophy and depth. I think one of the things we share is that we both see this as a great introduction to a world and not necessarily like a complete telling of what's going on in Lantris and all yeah. the characters seem to have like more and more depth. Everything unlocks honestly, new things. Yeah, exactly. And I think that honestly the thing that shadows Elantris as a book the most is simply the fact that it has not had a follow-up. Mm. Like I really think that our opinions of this book would be completely changed yeah. if there was already a follow-up. I think that's that's really the only reason that it falls a little flat is because as you said it's a great introduction but in that way it's very different from other Cosmere books that kind of jump in in the middle of a lot of action like if you think about Mistborn you know we jump in right at the edge of this huge revolution beginning or in on Rashar there is this you know, 10-year-long war that's been happening on the plains of this alien planet. So we jump into these really action-filled events, and Elantris is not that. I think that Elantris, though, has some of the most uh, potential for super, super interesting, Cosmere-significant things happening And that's kind of where I want to start this podcast, too, is just by talking about the very unique and special investiture that exists on Cell. Yeah, let's orient ourselves a little bit inside of the Cosmere, because Elantris is on the planet of Cell, which is also home to the book The Emperor's Soul, uh, Shy and the Rose Kingdom, although that happens on a completely different continent. Cell has many continents um, and some quite large, like Asia size, and and we think that Elantris and this story is actually happening on, on the smaller continent. Well, there is a map at the beginning of the book. Elantris is on the larger section 
of the continent. And then across a sea, there is Teod, the other country that they talk about where Serena is from. Mm -hmm. Where she's princess of. Yeah. And then there's like a mountain range that separates that section from the Rose Empire. Okay. So, yeah. So there's a lot of geographic boundaries to them knowing each other or yep. finding out about each other and they're quite quite separate and i think that that's really important and obviously geography is important to this story as we will talk well, about geography it's, is uniquely important to yes, sell because let's get into that we know that cell is home to the shards of devotion and dominion another one of these shard pairings that maybe some of the early vessels warned was dangerous, but because of their defeat or destruction? No. Yeah. The, because of their defeat. The vessels of Devotion and Dominion, who are named Aona and Sky, have been killed by Odium in the past. It's like his first victory. Yeah. And Rashar is his new battle. Yeah. And the power of the shards is not being held by a vessel. No vessels. Yeah. And the power is somehow coalesced or trapped in the cognitive realm. We think because of how the battle played out. Yeah. And so usually some of their power would be existing in the spiritual realm, obviously, which is unbounded and you know, infinite. it's yeah. an infinite space in the spiritual realm. Cognitive realm, as we know, has location, has some parameters to it. And so because the power is trapped in the cognitive realm, they are, there's unique ways that it is able to manifest. For example, all investiture on cell is tied specifically to location. Um, we see in Elantris, the magic called Aeon Door, which is only able to be used by Aeonic people who are born in a specific place and um, are Elantrians. It uses the Aeonic uh, alphabet, essentially. So it's incredibly specific. But we do know that the power is able to be accessed in different ways, depending on where you are. Like you said in uh, Emperor's Soul, we see Shy and her version of using this investiture. Yeah, and I think that the investiture, the way that it's trapped in the cognitive realm, the way that it's accessed, has also led to these, I would say maybe a little bit like weaker or not quite as well understood not quite as in your face magical powers as we see in something like Mistborn or on Rashar. I think that is part of what is um maybe a limiting factor. Yeah. On it's, cell. it's more constrained. Exactly. It doesn't necessarily have access to that infinite realm of the spiritual realm. I think in its constrainedness, the fact that it is constrained also does that thing where like if you're limited you can actually come up with more creative solutions mm. than if you have yeah. unlimited resources unlimited supplies if you only have a certain number of things then you're going to solve problems in specific ways so i think it's really interesting how we see all of the different magic 
kind of manifest or be manipulated by different groups or you know religious practices we'll talk about a lot yeah well okay and now i'm just thinking if there is sort of a different form of use for investiture in each location does that mean that there is a end positive and negative and neutral version of each version of investiture you know i would not be oh my gosh. surprised in part because of the structure of the book that brandon chose um for his actual writing and outlining mm, we'll talk about yeah. that in a second um but i want to stay on the magic system just because it's mm. so unique and so interesting can we go to this word of brandon he this was asked uh at a book signing uh, many years ago. And so we've had this knowledge for a long time, but I think that it's uh, really important also after reading Mistborn's Secret History. Uh, this is significant. Could you read that in Brandon's voice? Um, maybe in your, not in Brandon's voice. In but... <laughs> your voice, but she's playing Brandon now. He said, quote, it is possible to create another city similar to Elantris and other locations on cell. The Irie created a base similar to it in the cognitive realm of Scadriel, though in order for this to work, investiture from Cell needs to be piped into it. There are, however, other ways to achieve the same effect, end quote. So as we find out in Elantris, the city of Elantris is constructed as a giant aeon or a focus for investiture power. power. Yeah. yeah. And I think it's super interesting that the Irie city that we see in Secret History is built on a similar principle. principle. Yes. And like, how are they piping investiture into it? That is a very good question. And we don't have full knowledge about the Irie. And, so interesting. But we do know that they they came to the they cognitive realm. They are Elantrians. Realm, yeah. And they came to the cognitive realm Scadrial to attempt to steal or trap the power of preservation as he was being defeated by ruin kelsier steps in steals their machine and allows uh vin to make that switch instead of going to the people of the irie but i just there's elantrians that are very advanced in their cosmere knowledge despite the fact that they live on a planet that is more limited in its investiture potential well that's the other thing though because i'm pretty sure that elantris takes place quite early Way in early, the yeah. cosmere timeline which is even more interesting i can talk more about this later i <laughs> but we start in this book elantris quite early in the story of cell you know yeah. like we see the discovery or rediscovery of aeon door in this book for our purposes and yet we also know that Aeon Dor existed before and the people who built the city of Elantris, like there's a whole other uh, era of civilization before this that we don't see. So like there's not only a huge history dating back on Cell, but this story takes place quite early in the Cosmere. And so there's also a really long future of Cell that we don't have. I think that's a great point that there's a really long future. It definitely is something that Brandon always loves to do is like introduce elements of, hey, there's a deep history. We don't quite know. We're dropping in the middle of this. You can't have like full knowledge. I do think as a slight criticism, he does it better in all of his later books. Agree. It is very hard to kind of understand 
even the current political climate, let alone the history that is set up. Um, and that's partially on purpose. Like, I understand it's not supposed to be fully known, but at the same time, it's better done in other books. And I well, think that... I do think he's said quite a few times, too, that when he was first starting his career, he wasn't sure how popular something like the Cosmere and Interconnected Universe would be or like how much people were willing to invest in the larger world of a story. And so I feel like in Elantris, which is his first published book, he's like really trying to simplify it and like maybe not giving his readers enough of the benefit of a doubt, but you know, as his first book, Didn't you kind of have to have readers, yeah, yeah, you kind of have to cut him some slack that he's trying to just like simplify. And it's almost like he's saying to himself, like, ah, oh, they won't care about that. They won't care about that. Just like simplify it down. There's, you know, magical ancient city, bad political power. Here we go. And let's talk briefly about the way that um, the magic systems are kind of influenced by both shards and then how that manifests yes. with the seans and the skies, skies. Yeah, because both of the powers of the shards are trapped in the cognitive realm together, they're sort of intermingling and have created a giant polarized storm of investiture, which is the pool of investiture uh, that's being used for magic like the door. So I think that's pretty interesting. I don't know if there's another planet on which we've seen the powers of two shards being channeled like together as one. And also in such a chaotic fashion. Right. So far we've seen everything has a vessel and vessels by their nature are like a channeling rod. Yeah. And that I think is actually one of the primary reasons why this is just speculation however i think one of the primary reasons why elantris doesn't have a sequel is because to go too far into elantris and sell goes too deep into the cosmere too fast mm. like you have to tell yeah. all the other stories so that by the time you do the sequel to elantris you are ready to unveil sure what is so important a lot of the like inner workings yeah i basically think as soon as you start to understand and pick apart what is going on in elantris it would tell you so much about the other locations and other shards and how they're working and how they're operating and maybe even something deeper about the magic that we understand mm -hmm. and certainly something you know if it had happened, if a hypothetical sequel had happened before an Oathbringer, a Mistborn Era 2, there might have been like ways to undercut that yeah. plot lines, those plot lines. I think that's a good point. The Seans are actually splinters of devotion while the Skays, how are we say that's this? how I say okay. it. The Skays are splinters of dominion, not altogether unlike the spren of rashar yeah i think they're actually quite similar to the spren of rashar it's definitely the closest that we've kind of seen um in terms of a similar type of existence we they see are, that they are bonded yes, to a human sentient or yep. at least when they're fully functioning they're, they're yeah. sentient <laughs> And the differences in magic systems are also kind of an interesting question to, because we know Spren predated the shards on Rishar. 
that they were starting to manifest, especially the most basic spren, were starting to manifest just as splinters directly of adenalsium and his that power. What I find so interesting about the Seons is that they are definitely a huge aspect of Cell and a huge important key to understanding the magic, but they are so they're not explored very much in this book compared to something like the Spren. Yeah, there's a lot of mystery left about them um, because they predate our characters' known history, essentially. Like, the Seons have been there, and no one really knows how they were made or how they came to be because they were already there when, like, these humans have knowledge. And the easiest way to tell the difference between the two is that the Seons glow uh, light with like a, a blue or yellow light and have an aeon at their center the skays are described as dark and almost seeming like a black hole kind of sucking light in um, with maybe like an event horizon their edges kind of blend and, and um, manipulate something in the air or space-time, we don't quite know, but they have a sphere around them, like a pattern with misty symbols and stuff. Very cool. I think that what we have in store is basically like understanding the magic through the seance, through the skaze. I think that would be a really cool um, way of exploration into the craziness of what has happened to Dominion and Abotion. For sure. Okay, now that we've kind of set the stage, do you want to talk about your biggest thought on your reread of Elantris? Sure. I mean, number one takeaway is that it is a highly political work. I feel there are so many different elements of a young Brandon uh, that were directly kind of seen in this, but one of the easiest ways to look at it is that it's a book that is very much connected to our own world. It is. It doesn't feel necessarily alien, even though there's magic and seans and obviously crazy mm. stuff is happening. Yeah, but in, it's recognizable. It is. It feels recognizable, even more so in a way than Mistborn does, because that's like a planet ending. It's a little like apocalyptic. Sure. I think the kind of different uh, people that we see and their backgrounds, their connections, their struggles, Harathin being a, a priest of a you know empire that is uh conquering and led by a, a god king like figure or one who casts himself as a, a god king a pope yes every time you try to explore something you begin to understand something in elantris you realize oh wait harathan is just a single representative of a single sect of this religion and there's always like more to the puzzle we have things like after Elantris falls, the king that is put in place is Iodon, right? And King Iodon comes from the merchant class. And he was like supported by the merchants who were second most powerful or able to like take power after the Elantrians fell. They could never, you know, surpass the Elantrians, but they were also necessary to society. And so you get a king who doesn't really care about um, maybe the more political or religious elements of his society. He doesn't necessarily think about the um, 
the people in a very direct fashion. Right, like doesn't really have any experience necessarily governing or you know being a team leader or yeah. really anything he, he's almost that more would like a translate manager. to ruling a country yeah he's like a kind of numbers uh guy and seems very organized in terms of the trade that is so yeah. important but really doesn't have like all the leadership qualities he maybe had like one and was backed by a group and we just as elantris continues we see how all these groups are pushing and fighting and some rise and some fall and you think that one is going to be powerful and the villain like harathan and then you realize that maybe something else is going on and maybe what harathan was doing was bad but it's not as evil per se as what these other individuals are doing and so it really is like an I think a very interesting book that just constantly has more depth than we go into. Totally. What's your biggest thought or your biggest takeaway? Yeah, I think my biggest takeaway was similar to yours that first of all, it was much better than I was expecting it to be. Um, And as you were saying, this book being sort of closer to our world, I think what really struck me and hit home is that reading this book now in America, in our current climate, um, Elantris almost seems like prophetic or as such a good example of the political events that we have seen recently in our country. Just the way that Hrathen goes about recruiting people Mm -hmm. um, and his use of the Elantrians and like his very clear strategy that is like laid out in black and white of give this group of people a different group of people to hate and it will bind them together and then like we will win. Yeah, it's <gasps> a fascinating look at how at least Brandon perceives many of the elements of societies or cultures. And I think it displays his own knowledge of history because there's that line from who knows who, but, uh, you know, history doesn't necessarily repeat itself, but it rhymes. So (laughs) it it can be prophetic, but I also see that as a good example of how Brandon has studied history and kind of sees societies working around. I also think there's a really interesting thing to be said for the fact that Brandon had a missionary experience as part of his faith as a Latter-day Saint when he was young in a culture and a society that he would have been very out of place. He went to Korea, South Korea, obviously, uh, and had to be kind of dropped in as like a, I don't know, they go when they're like 19 or 20 or something like that, when they're really young. And you have to kind of create such an interesting mindset for yourself, be like, I don't necessarily know the language. I had a crash course on language. They do it in like four to six weeks. I think more complicated languages like might take a little bit longer. But for the most part, it's like crash course in language, in culture, in history. And then boom, you're dropped in and you're like learning from a kid who maybe has been there six months longer. Uh, And then, you know, you got like someone who's like a host and trying to help you out and let you experience the culture. But like in a lot of ways, I was just like, man, is Harathan a type of Brandon? <laughs> Let's go to our negative experience. What's the rough cut, the worst part about the reread for you? 
Well, as we have already discussed, this book doesn't really have any kind of follow-up. It's a great sort of prologue to the real story, right? It's like the background to the story, basically, of like, here's how we get to having Aeon Dor and Elantris and powered up people. But I feel like it's kind of frustrating that you read through this whole book and then you finally sort of like get to a point where you're like, okay, cool, cool, cool. Like, now we got it. Fjordal attacked. We have Elantrians. The stage is set for the story. And then the book is over. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it is kind of a, a long, slow ramp up. I mean, it's multiple hundred pages of a book and it takes multiple hundred pages just to get into it. I mean, it, it like it is interesting and good and great, but you just like want something else at the end. Like it's a good book, but it's not satisfying. Yeah. Oh, that's a great way to think of it. It's not the kind of book that you just like read and are flipping through the pages and just like really having a sat it and then you finish and you're like oh that was awesome like, oh, nice good yeah uh and instead it is complex and slow and has depths and you don't quite understand anything that's going on and i think that it's a difficult book for that reason and this is basically the same you know i'm just going to echo what you were saying like that makes it hard to love this book but that again doesn't mean that it's not a good book it's yeah. just we're often so fascinated with the great works and we talk so much more about the great cosmere novels uh that one that's just merely good uh, <laughs> it's just like well you know it's the ugly the uh, ugly stepchild step, exactly basically and i don't she just needs you know a better dress or something. She needs some melantrian. She's got some sludge on her. <laughs> yeah. She's got to clean that up. My other big bone to pick with this book, it drives me absolutely bonkers, <laughs> is this book has the worst linguistic structure. And one of the things that I love about Brandon's writing, he is notorious for having sort of hard to pronounce words and names. That is something that like everyone knows about Brandon Sanderson. However, I really appreciate the time and the effort and the intelligence that he puts into creating independent linguistic structures for each of the cultures in his books. It's amazing. And he really, truly does have like strong actual well thought out linguistic basis for all of those cultures which is amazing and as a linguistic nerd i love it however <laughs> whatever this language is the aeonic language that we see in elantris doesn't quite make sense and is really hard to figure out you like don't know how to pronounce anything it seems like there are fixed uh phonemes and like morphemes of the language that should make the same sounds every time that they're in a word and those phonemes get stuck together but it doesn't like the way that they're stuck together doesn't make sense the way you're supposed to pronounce them and it just drives me nuts yeah and i knew that you were going to go off on the linguistics <laughs> generally i'll just say like in the more uh, i don't know basic fashion is all the nicknames and the slang 
that is introduced here, I just feel like it's done in a terrible, awful way. I think Galadon is one of the people that is like the biggest offender. But like, I wish that the editor just like did a control F on all of these and like deleted the nicknames. I forgot what they are. They're like Sulu or the way he like ends every sentence or begins every sentence. It is almost as if uh, the character of Lopin, uh, who says things like Gancho Mm. uh, and the airsick lowlanders of rock, but those are all side characters and you don't actually see them for very long as like a percentage of the book. I just feel like when I'm trying to follow everyone who's basically talking this way and just has... I feel like Galadon is the only one that has slang like that. Maybe I'm overblowing it. I mean, However, he, it it is a it is a lot, and it's a lot concentrated on those two words. Like he, you're saying, he basically has come up with only two words of the Duladen language, and just puts them in every, every sentence, sentence. Okay. that he says. So I understand where you're coming from. It's basically like if if we knew what a Duladen person was, this would be like an offensive character <laughs> That's of true. a Duladen it's person. A stereotype. He's just, yeah, like painted Galadon with this really broad brush where he's kind of a character and like not fully human. And we get the backstory and it kind of makes him more sympathetic. But I get what you're saying. It's like a little bit heavy handed. Yeah. I mean, outside of just the ability to pronounce all of the different things, I also just thought like the way that you learn about a culture or you learn about a site, part of it is how people talk. And as you said, it just feels like a a caricature or a broad brush with a kind of garish, ugly color that I didn't really care for. (laughs) And even just, I don't, maybe some people can like, ignore this yeah, turn, in a book mute it. <laughs> but to me it just drives me nuts every single time i see it something as simple as the main character's name you know the first person that you meet you're like how do i say her name okay maybe it's serene but then her dad immediately calls her a nickname so okay it can't be serene it has to like there has to be another syllable so okay maybe it's serene but then it's actually supposed to be Sereni, and if all E's are supposed to be E, then this word has to be this. So the whole time I'm reading this book, I'm just constantly revising my pronunciations in my head as I get like more information about the language. And yeah, it just like gives me a headache. Yeah, no, I think that's a real thing. Uh, I know that other individuals that I have uh, heard podcasts from have criticized the way that like, all it takes to interrupt the flow of reading, especially longer works, because everyone knows our attention spans are kind of going down with like the internet. But like all it takes is something like the auto justification of Kindles or Apple readers and stuff where they just like they spread oh, the words out. Weird. Yeah. Word spacing, spacing. And it's it's different as you're going through the line. Now, that's you a, can't get into a rhythm. Yeah. It's a very small thing. It shouldn't really matter. And obviously from the Kindle or Apple programmer's perspective it didn't matter but i agree like it doesn't take a lot to mess with your reading flow whatever that is for you and the yeah. nicknames the when every time problems, you're coming across yeah, a word that your like, brain is, is like wait screech 
Wait, it, what was Serene? it? Serene? No, it's Serene. Yeah. No, it's Serene. Eni. Eni, Eni, Eni. So then okay. if it's Eni, is it also Iodon or is it still Iodon? Nobody knows. That That's what I'm doing the whole time I'm Hopefully, reading. Hopefully other people don't have to go crazy. <laughs> but that's that's my rough cut. You asked. That's what it is. Yeah. No, I've heard the criticism <laughs> from enough people. It's not just you and I. And I think it's a real one and an example, maybe one of the clearest examples of early Brandon Sanderson works versus later Brandon Sanderson works. Because I don't feel that yeah. in any of the later ones. Yeah, he definitely has a more well thought out linguistic structure in his other books because the other books, when I read it, I'm like, oh my God, thank you for making this so easy. Like, yes, there are names of places and things that are, you know, new and different and definitely not English, but because you've given me enough context clues as to how this language works, I can like read easily through it. And I just think that's amazing because it could be something as simple as just like time and money and resources where either his editor or maybe Brandon himself, but like got a team around him. Maybe he talked to experts yeah, I mean, and like he, built. Yeah, and, he does have people who help him. Yeah, exactly. But like that is normal. None of this, um, none of the production of a book is happening with a single person in a room just writing away. Like that's not how books are written. If there was a time or if there but is I an think- example of that. It's long past. And, yeah. and I think that as Brandon's crew has expanded and his yeah. resources have expanded, you can see When you get more people that you trust yes, to absolutely. and you feel more comfortable saying like, this is what I'm trying to do. Can yeah. you help me do it better? Yeah. Right? Because when you're starting out, you may not feel comfortable saying that to this random editor you just met who isn't totally sold on your work. And you is, know? you know, number 38 in line and the other 37 have rejected you. Yeah. And so yeah, you're exactly. playing this weird game of like, I'm Please very confident with my, my skills book. and at the same time being like, please buy this or like my family won't have food and I will be a failure in my entire life. Like, you know, there's just like this, like <laughs> no re- pressure, no pressure at all. I think that what I'd like to do next is go through our five favorite moments, characters, scene. Let's just talk about the book and hit on what was really great. Cool. You start us off with, actually, let's both start us off. Okay. Brathen. We both liked Hrathen. Uh, Hrathen. Hrathen is so great. I love his storyline. I love the whole journey that he goes on. Like, in a way, I think Hrathen is the best protagonist of this book. He starts out seeming like an antagonist, obviously. Mm. You think that he's the, the big bad, the villain. And then he becomes so complex and such a sympathetic villain we get these chapters from his perspective and i think it's really bold of brandon to have made one of the central conflicts of his book this really deeply internal personal religious relationship and conflict that hrathen is going through like the depiction of his deep deep religious conviction, his true desire to save the souls of the Ionic people mm-hmm. and like the the drama of that, I think is a great choice. What a great way to bring drama to a story without having to add like fighting or action, but like the the power and the drama of that 
deep, deep conviction to save someone's soul is so huge and powerful. And and I think it's a really bold thing to put really at the center of this story. I agree. And I honestly do believe that a lot of Harathan's journey or struggle is pulled from the experiences of young missionaries like Brandon was. I think that there is a there's always conflict and doubt um, when it comes to the beliefs of religious people that come at different times. Like a religious yeah. person is not just a religious person for and their they entire just life. Always believe in the exact same way. Yeah, it's a yeah. it's a flow. It's a pattern. It sometimes uh, goes to the opposite of belief of of a loss of faith in the most extreme mm-hmm. way. But it is the journey and not the destination. And it's not. What we see at the beginning with Harathan as this character from a society, as we said, that's like conquering and he shows up in plate armor armor. and he is kind of harsh and strict and he like fires the people who had been in charge. He's like, you're weak. You're not good enough. You're going back to the homeland and never shall you leave unless you learn. And so I think that he is... A fascinating character that, as you said, adds conflict and depth to the story and drama to the story without having it from an external event. Uh, The idea or concept that I think I love most is the ways that in our real world, there are so many elements of what could just be labeled conquest, you know, the Genghis Khan or the Alexander the Great or whatever story you want, it can be very easy to just tell it as, well, Alexander the Great started in Greece and he moved east across the world until he got to India and then, you know, he died. But I think what is always interesting is that you have these people like Harathan, like uh, Marco Polo or, uh, you know, merchants and traders who are like pushing the boundaries before they they show up before the empire. They make connections. Mm. They're establishing their own culture. They're getting familiar with the population. Sometimes it's happening directly as like a purpose of the empire expanding. And sometimes it's just happening as like a byproduct or they don't even understand like that they are part of this larger thing. Right. And And that's what I love. Yeah, the complexity Mm -hmm. of that relationship. And I like that Brandon allows that to be a gray area. And it doesn't have to be black or white where it's like, well, Harathan is just bad. And, you know, he's coming to conquer the people and change their religion. And, like, he's terrible. But that it's painted more complexly of, like, the true belief of him. And, like, he doesn't really know how to best help the people he's trying to help should he assimilate should he make them learn his language you know should he be more like dilaf dilaf yeah who is um a kind of a charismatic zealous yes he and he's he's operating on a deeper level or what harathan thinks is kind of a deeper level of just passion and, and zealotry and uh a fire brand compared to the more studious and focused individual that Harathan is. This was this is one of my other points that I wanted to hit on Harathan's sort of resolution. Mm -hmm. It reminded me so much of that ending scene with Wax when Wax dies and he is talking to Harmony 
and Harmony is talking to him about sort of this like chip on his shoulder that Wax has always had of like, how come I'm always the one like trying to do the right thing? No one else is. And like, I have to do it. I have to be the responsible one. I don't get to go have fun like my sister did, run out of the compound and go drinking. Like, I'm always the one Mm -hmm. holding it all together. And like, he has this little chip on his shoulder and Harmony kind of looks at him and is like, is that who you are? Like, do you like that about yourself? And he's like, yeah, I do. And Harmony's like, okay, then just be okay with that. Yeah. And like, stop complaining about it. Make peace with who you are. That's who you are. And Hrathen has this moment at the end of this book, very similar, where he makes peace with the way that his faith manifests for him, which is logic and reason and like a very calm, centered version of belief, not the passionate, hot, zealous belief that Delaf shows. Um, so I just thought that was really interesting. And a quote here from that section, quote, it was not what Hrathen had been hoping for, but it was an answer. And he found comfort and strength within it. End quote. Okay, next favorite moment character or thing coming for me this time i loved how the experience of learning about elantris as rayadin as our guide slash he's learning everything as well is going on it's almost like a microcosm of the larger world around the city itself what i mean by that is when we're first dropped into elantris rayadin is kind of being taught by Galadon, he's like, okay, this is how Elantris works. People come in with some offerings. There's three gangs. The three gangs are vying for power. They're holed up here, here, and here. This one seems to be like a bunch of crazy people. This one seems to be like smart, but also super deadly and and dangerous. Like, don't mess with them. Uh, And we're going to then build our own gang, the new Elantrians, and Raiden's going to give them, or try to give them like new purpose by replicating. And, And you have this kind of microcosm. And then when you zoom out, you have a very similar thing happening yeah, where three you, powers. Yeah, exactly. So you're learning about these different powers, how they're fighting, how they're vying. You have the King Iodon, you have the Fjordel Empire, you have the Teod people and, and then you king- have Serenia's little rebels exactly. trying to build a new world. And so it's a a fractal experience, cool. which we've talked about before I really like. And I just think that it's such a great structure to the story and this is going to be my next point after this one as well but it's something that this is why i can imagine the book gets picked up where other books don't like we obviously have talked about some of its flaws but like you can't necessarily teach what brandon is doing like you have to be devoted to what brandon's doing this is hard to do yeah and it is the more effort that it takes the more payoff we see in something like oathbringer but it's difficult and so i can totally imagine being an editor and getting uh this book to read you know on spec uh, and just being like well you know it's got some problems we can work on it but like this this is interesting and i really feel that there's a couple of things that brandon did with this overall structure and this kind of elantris is a microcosm that will teach you about the conflicts that are going on in the larger world that's cool yeah and we've talked about that a little bit in the past uh like with the structure of mistborn and things Mm -hmm. like that i do think that that base structure 
of the literary work itself is something that Brandon Sanderson is so strong at. Yeah. I mean, he's devoted, committed to it. Uh, he it's does it incredible. like a job. You know, he's yeah. a professional and it shows because he has taken this which is already pretty cool and, and turned it into all the series we know. And we know his production of just like his ability to write. That's also a structure that he has given himself to like, I wake up and I write, I go to work. And I think it's evident in this book um, and just serves as a cool roadmap for the story of Elantris, but also for the greater Cosmere as well. Do you want to just hop right into your second structural point okay while we're here yes so you have this fractal idea uh but then when you actually talk about the physical structure of the book itself brandon uses what is called a triad system the triad system is not something of his own invention it has been used previously in literature but he does it really well in the most basic way to describe it is that there are three main characters for us it's written Serene and Rathen. Each of those characters gets one chapter, and those three chapters are covering the same period of time. So it's like, what is Rathen doing? What is Serene doing? What is Harathen doing? Okay, so that group of three chapters makes one triad. Now, here's the cool part each part of the book is made up of nine triads or 27 chapters so that pattern repeats itself nine times to make up part one and then it does the same 27 chapters nine triads for each of the characters for part two he breaks the pattern because it's shorter in part three instead of having nine triads he has nine total chapters which makes three triads i know i just threw a lot of numbers and i did it fast because i don't want to spend a lot of time on it <laughs> all i'm saying it's very cool yeah exactly and that's a cool thing and then when you combine the fact that with the overall structure of the book is also then mimicked in the political and religious fighting that's going on in the world and then that is also being mimicked in the city of elantris i would really love it if later on we find out that similar to 16 being an important number on yeah, schedule three. like three or, or multiples, multiples of yeah. three are important to the magic system on cell oh my god i mean there's a lot of numerology that brandon plays with across the cosmere it's obviously something that is played with enough on earth where there's a word like <laughs> numerology uh but that concept of just numbers being significant, the way that they can be um, added, subtracted, multiplied, and divided, also being significant. I find it very interesting and just, I think that what could this mean in a bigger Elantrian picture? I don't know, but at least the basis is I want it to be like a secret mathematical sequence that's yeah, like, like a Fibonacci a clue sequence. Or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I want it to be really cool. <laughs> one plus one is two. Two plus one is three. Three plus two is five. And there is Fibonacci. <laughs> okay, so for you, what was another thing that you liked or loved from Elantris? Well, the thing from Elantris that I have been thinking about for a long time now on a regular basis <laughs> is the concept of eternal pain and like injuries never going away <laughs> this because, is because of our own body i <laughs> am getting old yes. and i have injuries that just 
they don't ever fully go away. And so on a regular basis, I'm just like, man, you know, Brandon, I feel like really hit it on the head. Yeah. I don't think this is an Elantrian thing. I think this is like a real life thing. Like this that ankle experience. injury I had in high school, I still have. And it's still affecting me yeah. now. And every time I do anything now, like hit my elbow or something, I'm like, well, that's going to go on forever. <laughs> <laughs> now, I am the exact same age as Brooke. We are only a month apart. Uh, however, I lead a far less healthy life. And so I reached age faster than Brooke did. So I was saying for years that like pain was eternal. And now Brooke has started to join me in this philosophy. Yeah. But Brandon got I'm there really long convinced before. that we are living in a landress <laughs> and not the good kind. Yeah, the sludge filled kind. <laughs> no, but I think that that is actually something really deep and connected to the human experience is like, that's a fear or a phobia that is manifest from a very real experience. Like the concept when you're first describing that, it's in the early chapters when Raiden and Galadon are just going through Elantris for the first time. It's a group of people. I forgot what they're called. It's like the Hode or Hed. Yeah, Hoad. Yeah. Um, but they're the people who have gone so insane with pain that they basically don't exist anymore. They just like sit or mumble um, or just kind of like rock back and forth. It's terrifying in the most brutal way of just like, that's what I could become. Obviously not, but okay. that's no, what no, I'm fearful no, no, but of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I want to go on this because I'm just, I want to do some literary analysis here. Okay, slash psychotherapy. Here we go. If we say that we are living in Elantris. Mm -hmm. Okay. Like, let's say Elantris is a microcosm for Earth, Earth for yeah. our world. Yeah. Um, you know, we we have a concept. There are articles and sayings and whatever. You know, be kinder to everyone that you meet because everyone is suffering mm -hmm. a little bit. Sure. Right. And so Elantris, when we first go into it, is an example of the world if we all take our pains, everything that has ever, you know, happened wrong to us, every time that someone was mean to us, every time that we fell and scraped our knee, all of those, you know, internal sufferings mm -hmm. and we're not kind to each other. We are, you know, we keep just lashing out at everyone else, only caring about ourselves and our pain. Yeah. We become hoed. We become, you know, just trapped in our pain. Nothing yeah. else looks else else exists we can't make relationships we are useless in society and first we become like the gang members who like beat or kill and like angry and like attack people and then we become hoed <laughs> well but they're attacking people because of their suffering yeah, right exactly. they're like it's i'm like a, hungry i'm in pain process, and though. so yeah. i'm gonna take that out on all of you other people who are also suffering mm -hmm. rayden shows us that we can transcend our suffering Mm -hmm. We can, you know, set aside those things by being productive members of society, by being kind by having a community. to each other. Yeah. And so, because we know that everyone is suffering, because we know that we're all Elantrians, we are all suffering the same types of pain. Instead, we can take that and turn it the other way and create this like beautiful utopian society. You know, Serene comes in and she's like, gosh, how are these people in quote unquote hell 
actually living in this like perfect yeah, paradise where everyone is just like happy and productive and healthy and kind. I think that's a really good point. And I think it also backs up the idea that Raiden is a type of missionary as well, where Hrathen is maybe the more uh, the way that we more traditionally think about a missionary. Raiden is kind of like a uh, St. Francis of a sissy. Like he's down in the muck <laughs> with the people and he's just like, I'm living this life and we're going to get through it together and we're going to create this community and that's going to be the thing that you put your energy into instead of your self-hatred mm. or your hatred of other. And I, I think you're totally right on the idea of just like there's so much pain that is possible to experience and if a person attaches themselves and and grips on to that pain uh then it morphs them and it it warps them and it becomes a defining trait uh and you see this and you start a chain of like an eye for an eye yeah right where you're lashing out at someone else because of your pain and then they take that and they lash out at someone and you create this awful you know three gangs everyone's getting beat up and turning into hoed Okay, back to me for another, and we're going to stay with the uh, the gang leaders, actually, because I love the way that we see and kind of understand what is motivating the different gangs. I We have the gang leader of Karata, which is not Katara from Avatar The Last Airbender, but it's really close. And I might have just said Katara the entire book, but <laughs> it is Karata or Karata. How would you say it? I say it Karata, but who Nobody knows? Nobody knows. Who I mean, knows? That just reminds Karata? me. Karata? Yeah. Katara. Guys, it's Katara. It's fine. No, you can't do that. I, Karata? Nice. Who I knows? Like I wish that there was... Karata? Now we're just being ridiculous. I'm just going to give every possible pronunciation. We're in quarantine, Brandon, folks. please fix this. We'll talk about what he did fix uh, at the very end. But the idea that we learn about her as a gang leader and an incredibly brutal gang leader, but devoted to her little region and doesn't go outside it. And then what we come to uncover is that the children of Elantris, because the quote-unquote disease saving all the kids yeah it strikes anyone randomly including children and i think when galadon first mentions uh children he just says like they don't last like none of them can last and what we find out is that they actually do better in many ways and they're quicker to adapt to the Rayadun ways. Just like human children. Yeah, they have a, uh, a higher resistance to pain. Well, how many happy faces can you go and find in like the slums of the worst parts of the world? It's like there's not a lot on the older people, but a kid running around in the mud, that's like, golden. Cool. Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> like happiness anywhere and everywhere. And I think that this is really getting at something deep about how communities work and how um, nations work and how states work and societies hold themselves together, what bonds societies and what divides societies. And I love that we get that experience of thinking one thing about a character and finding Mm -hmm. out we were wrong. The supposed villain, again, like Krathen. Yeah, and it happens earlier with Karata. 
Um, but it's really setting up the same type of reveal with Rathen. And I really love that. The secret temple Ooh. that they find in Elantris. The one that's like not sludge, right? Yeah, the one that's not sludge that they find. And Raiden's like, oh, weird. We What's thought different? that the we thought the Elantrians were the gods. Like mm-hmm. all of the Aeonic people worship the Elantrians, but the Elantrians had like their own religion. Yeah. They like around... didn't think that they were gods and they worshiped a different god. And it makes me wonder if this temple was built by like previous Elantrians. Because also I found out when I was doing research for this episode that there is a word of Brandon. The city of Elantris existed when the Aeonic people moved to this region. And so it was like, empty. Yeah, and it was empty. And then after a couple of years of living there, the Shayad started taking people and turning them into Elantrians. The good Elantrians. But we can assume that like there was a whole other culture mm-hmm. and other Elantrians here previously, and like maybe this was built by those Elantrians and like did those Elantrians know about Devotion and Dominion? And maybe when Devotion and Dominion died, the other, you know, the first Elantrians died or something. And there's like a mural depicting the shard pool and like falling into the shard pool. And there's a disc that looks like maybe it's supposed to be indicating the spiritual realm mm-hmm. or some kind of travel through the realm. So like, yeah, kind of a did they know about that? Yeah. I just have so many questions. I want to know everything. Ah. This is where we get into like the frustration part is like, why didn't we get to explore that? Like, where is that story? But that's what I'm saying. There's like, you could make a bunch of books about the history before the book Elantris. But then I also want all of the books after Elantris. It's an interesting world that uh, Brandon has dropped us in on on Cell. Yeah, like the Cell timeline and world. I'm just like, there is so much here that we don't have. And then the last thing that I want to bring up is just the character of Adian. Yeah. I just find him so fascinating. I know that he is a really small character, but just his whole storyline, I think, is so interesting. The fact that he's... A secret Elantrian is a crazy twist. And he just like walks into the pile of dead bodies and is just like, flop, here we go. Burn me to death. Like, that's a freaking crazy moment. And the fact that he is like autistic, I guess he's supposed to be autistic, but he's also like a weird genius. And I don't really understand how being autistic would help him or like make him know how many steps away everything is well we kind of talked about this uh last week with a a listener question but there is at least a trope that people who are autistic are constantly processing uh information so what would seemingly be going on in his brain is that every time he looks at something he cannot help but do a calculation based on previous steps that he has taken towards everything. But how does he know how far away the capital city of Teot is? Because he just like would have to be obsessively. Yeah, maybe he's just like looking at maps all the yeah, time exactly. or something. He would have to constantly, because as part of his autism, 
it, it would be like a addiction or a, an obsessive right. compulsive disorder. Yeah. And I don't necessarily love that. It's a little bit too much Rain Man for me. Yeah. Uh, I think that that is a sort of stereotypical trope. A lot of people like who have a, autism just struggle a lot. Yeah. Like they don't <laughs> yeah. actually have magic powers or <laughs> they can't do, you know, what was it? Like playing poker. Um, <laughs> yeah. But it's a uh, just a, always interesting, I think when i would like it if it's actually more of like a magic thing like he has some kind of yes tied connection. to the cognitive realm or yeah, something with devotion that, dominion where like, it's like helps him yeah you can kind of imagine how that could play out too because we know that the physical realm and the cognitive realm are tied together and kind of inverse of each other mm-hmm. so if you had mm-hmm. some type of immediate access to the cognitive realm maybe inside the cognitive realm it's actually like easier to process that distance and you could be like oh well to the capital city it's in the physical realm x thousand of steps but in the cognitive realm if he was able to like slip in there you know how yeah okay so i think that that could be at least a way of exploring uh, some potential magical connections. And at some point, Brandon said that Adian is a likely protagonist character for future books. an Elantrian yeah, follow-up. I don't know how long ago Brandon said that or like if it's changed since then, but could be super cool. Okay, let's close out with some Cosmere connections and Hoyd sightings. We have some Hoyd in this book, a small scene, right? Tiny. Yeah, a yeah. little bit of Hoyd. He is the beggar who delivers Serene's gifts or like their demands to the Elantrians inside the city. So before we do our Cosmere connections, let's just talk about one little thing, kind of little, in terms of some changes that were made to Elantris. I think if you haven't read the 10th anniversary edition, I would highly recommend that you do for your reread. If you have the Kindle version, it'll automatically update to that version, so you'll have it. But if you have a hard copy, try to get your hands on a 10th anniversary edition because I was so happy when Brandon said he was going to be making changes to the end of Elantris because the first time I read it, I for sure was like, this doesn't make any sense i also read it very early i think it was the book that i read right after mistborn somewhere around 2010 where he hadn't made these changes yet and it definitely helps it definitely clears up some of the confusion i think this is actually kind of a uh, controversial thing in the uh the artistic community or the literary committee and brandon has talked a lot about he how he wants to be really careful about when he does this yeah the edits that he does and things like that and you know it's such a temptation as an artist to continue going back to your work and like quote unquote fixing it and he has done (laughs) it a couple of times now um and i think that in this case it it was a really good idea you just (laughs) never want to get to like george lucas level exactly. you always want to like stop That's before you, you lucas avoid. yeah exactly <laughs> but to bring some attention to it when brandon has said publicly you can read this on his own website but he said when he wrote elantris he didn't have any access or resources uh where he could talk to a good cartographer to kind and of the make story sense. and the magic and the language are all based on geography so 
that's not a small thing in terms of this specific story. And the 10th anniversary fixes some of the incorrect cartography, directional, geographic problems with the book. For the most part, this deals with the restarting of the Elantrian uh, Aeon and the addition of the chasm um, symbol or, yeah, or sign. the chasm line. Yeah. So if you've read Elantris, you maybe haven't done a reread and you've always been confused about like what the heck Raiden is doing. And this could be why. What the climax of the story even is. <laughs> this is why. It is better now. Although there is a more recent statement from Brandon just saying that he's still, it's like something that he wishes he could just show like in a movie. He thinks it would be more obvious because it's such a physical based Mm -hmm. thing that he still is kind of like, I know it doesn't come across great in the book. I like did my best. Sorry. Yeah. I think that where this becomes more interesting is actually outside of Elantris and into, I believe it's Words of Radiance, where we will talk about this as well. But the first version of Words of Radiance does not, ends oh, yeah. differently yeah, yeah. Uh, with Zeth clearly dying. Which I don't think I've ever read that version. Because the Kindle version, as Brooke said, updates automatically. So if you downloaded the Kindle version, you have probably no idea what I'm talking about. Because yeah. this was... I'm always confused when I see stuff about that online. But all I will say is that it is a dangerous gambit that artists have uh, always been tempted by. And we know what the bad version is. Like We know <laughs> you can go too far with this. Um, and I... Just Brandon's introduced the concept. He has no problem doing this. Uh, he's not one of those people who is like a purist and I'll never go back and you know, I write it and then I'm done. And it's perfect. That's not what he's doing. Frozen in amber. Yeah. And so I just have to say that while I think because his resources, his team, his uh, writing assistant, Peter, they're all like at a different level. I don't think this will happen in the future, but... There's always the possibility that they make a, an error that needs to be corrected and the book can like slightly be changed in the future. I just find that as an interesting side note outside like what Elantris is or what it means or anything. I just find that like an interesting aspect of what happened in our real world. Close us off with some Cosmere connections. Cosmere connections in Elantris. We have One of the most clear depictions of a perpendicularity in the shard pool. Super cool. You said like the Elantrians, the original Elantrians, were aware of used this shard pool in a very specific way. We know that it has the ability to heal or or take away the pain, take away the the curse. Yeah, well, they can... Choose not Choose to. when they're done, go into the pool and just rejoin the power of the shards and the spirit beyond. Yeah, it kind of feels a little bit like the returned giving up their breath uh, in hmm. a way. Yeah. Uh, their, their, fi- their endowment breath, mm-hmm. their one big thing that, uh, you know, they're supposed to do. I really like that concept, but I also know that the pool itself is a way to transport uh, people and eventually maybe 
part of the power source that the people of the Eyrie use or like, I don't know, but like it is, we don't get a lot of looks at perpendicularities. We get a lot of talking or mentioning <laughs> or we have no idea about them. Uh, but like there's something in the horn eater peaks is almost all we ever get about perpendicularities. And here it's a focal point. And then we also know that good old Galadon somewhere far into the future teams up with Baun and Demu to be part of the 16th shard hunting for Hoyd. And we've kind of talked about the way that we believe Elantris is very early in the timeline. We also believe White Sand is pretty early in the Cosmere timeline. But Mistborn is like year zero. And so that's Demu would have to be the latest addition to that team. I think it may have something to do with the maybe uh, the time dilation issue that we talked about last oh. week without going too much into that web of funness. I think that basically Galadon might have spent a long time alone or like without the people that he grew up with and he knows like he might have been uh, one of those kind of characters that has been around for a very long time, maybe even hundreds of years, oh, through yeah. some type of Cosmere. Um, well, I'm trying aging... to think too about how, like how they're described because I feel like on Rashar he is described as like being relatively a normal looking human, not an Elantrian. Well, I think that like the returned access to that type of power probably comes with some oh i guess that's true um, huh? form manipulation we already see Raiden doing an illusion yeah mm. oh kind of like a yeah yeah i think that basically and then demu demu must like go into the cognitive realm or something before mistborn era too yes I definitely believe so. Some sometime after the that is like boggling my brain trying to put like the timelines together. Yeah, it, that is very difficult, and we also don't have complete knowledge. Uh, but generally, the way that I have understood it is that Mistborn Era One is kind of our year zero in the Cosmere, and everything else is either plus or minus that. So. Demu sometime after the end of Era 1 and while Spook was running thing as Lord Mistborn may have taken a dip into the cognitive realm. Uh, we don't know exactly how, but probably guided by Harmony. Mm. There's Those always three... another secret. Yes, indeed there is. The words of the Cosmere can never be truer. Anyway, if you have joined us on our reread, Warbreaker is up next, so start that. We will be back in a few weeks to do a podcast on Warbreaker, maybe a podcast in between there on something else. Again, hit us up on Twitter, Reddit, Facebook. Let us know what kind of episodes you're interested in during this time of social distancing and self-isolation, and we will try to get a couple more out. Until next time, life before death, strength before weakness, journey before destination. <laughs> <laughs>